Our reading for today is actually our text for today's message. As I mentioned as we began, it's probably a text that you could take, and you can already see that there are four parts to this, and you probably could have put together a message or a devotion yourself. But it reads as follows, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe, a safe path. Don't get distracted. Keep your feet from following evil. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, we're in week two of a four-week series that I'm calling Living on the Edge. Last week we talked about living on the edge uh, of the playbook in which we, hopefully, were challenged to devote ourselves to the pursuit of what we call biblical wisdom. After all, the Bible is our playbook, so to speak, and through the principles that Jesus teaches us through scriptures, we're able to develop a plan for life. And today we want to move on again and suggest that as Christ followers, as those who have been redeemed and sanctified by our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to talk about living on the edge of direction. In other words, how do we now, as people who have been redeemed by God through Jesus, how do we live, how do we know which direction in life to go? After all, there are so many different people, so many different things that would point away and say, no, go here or go here or go here or come over here. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, there have been times in my life when I felt like I wasn't really going anywhere. I had a kind of a vague general idea of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be, but I just couldn't seem to, I don't know, figure out the way. I don't know whether you've ever had that experience where you're kind of floundering. And if you've ever been that floundering kind of situation, you're kind of like that picture up there. You're here. Which way do I go? Which way do I go? And it's kind of frustrating. Now, the text before us is especially helpful for anybody who's kind of looking for some direction in life. Because Proverbs chapter 4, in this wisdom chapter, uh, that we're going to focus on four things that I think that as Christ followers we need to focus on and master in order to make our lives turn out to be those lives that God wanted us to be that were full and complete and full of joy. Now, I probably could have called this sermon How to Be Successful in Everything You Do, uh, because quite honestly, this message is going to probably tell you how you could be better at some of the things God has called you to do. But then again, I could have probably also called this message Why Your Life Is the Way It Is. I'll go to the next slide. This isn't, doesn't seem to, there we go. Uh, I could have called it why your life is like it is because your life will reflect what you do with these four elements of direction. I mean, for example, if you're in the business world, um, these four steps will help you be more effective in the work you do. Uh, they'll help you move in the direction of success. I, quite honestly, it's not a, a weight loss program, but I, I would guess that if you want to lose weight and you want to be healthier, these four steps might also play some part in it. If you'd want to strengthen your marriage or your family relationship, if you want to get closer to God, 
If you want to become a better person, a better father, grandfather, spouse, whatever, these four steps would also kind of help and aim you in that direction. And the great thing about these is that these are steps that you're probably already taking to some extent. And really today's message is probably more about mastering some essential qualities of direction that God has laid out for us in his word so that we become all that God meant us to be. Uh, Go to the next slide. Uh, The first thing to do is guard your heart. In the text that I read you, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, what, what, what is Solomon talking about here, guarding your heart? Well, he's talking about that part of you that defines you more than anything else can define you. He's talking about the deepest part of who you are. What drives you? What motivates you? I mean, what do you really, really want out of life? Uh, What do you really, really expect of yourself? And that's the part Solomon calls it your heart. And he says, guard that part of your life. Now, I don't know whether you've ever heard this phrase before. The heart wants what the heart wants. You ever hear that before? About a year ago, I was sitting in, uh, I don't know, I was waiting somewhere, and they had a television up, and there was a music video playing, and it was playing a song that came on, and the name of the song was, The Heart Wants What It Wants. I think it's Selena who sings that song. The song, if you actually listen to the words, is kind of interesting. It's about a young girl who finds herself trapped in a very dysfunctional relationship with a very inconsiderate loser, And there's nothing she can do about it because she's just so in love with him. She cannot bring herself to do what's best for her. In the song, she sings this line. I'm not alive until you call. And there's a million reasons why I should give you up. But the heart wants what it wants. Oh, what a sad song. Have you ever used that excuse? I mean, a lot of people do. I can't help it. It's just the way I feel. I can't change what I want. Now, have you ever gotten yourself into that situation where you want something that you shouldn't want, uh, something that isn't good for you, and you can't bring yourself to want what you really should want, then you know what a mess life can become when your heart gets in the way. That's why Solomon, this is why God, speaking through Solomon, says, guard your heart, because we'll move even subconsciously, in the direction of that which we want the most. So if you go to the next uh, slide, I guess you got it up there already. Ask yourself, what do I really want to want more than anything else? I mean, Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So you you can understand this promise to mean that not only will God give you the good things that your heart desires, but even better, he's going to give your heart the right kind of desires. See, when you delight in the Lord, your heart desires the right things, good things, godly things, and not the wrong things. So here's what I'm saying. In order to establish your direction, you need to get it straight at the top of your list. In other words, what do I want to want more than anything else? I mean, what, what I really want to want is to love my spouse as Christ loved the church. What I really want to want is to do my job 
with such excellence that it brings glory to God. Or what I really want to want is how to manage my finances well. Or, or what I really want to want is to be a loving parent or a loving spouse. But in order to give you that edge of direction, you need to kind of start out and decide once and for all what you really want to want more than anything else. And then the Lord says, and then guard that heart. Protect it. Nurture it. Because the heart is going to determine the course of your life. Next screen. Guard your heart and then watch your mouth. Go to the next one. Already. Okay. Verse 24. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Now, I got to tell you, this, he's not just saying you shouldn't cuss and tell off-color jokes. Of course, you shouldn't. But what he, he's talking about a whole lot more than that. He's talking about refusing to say anything that diminishes the value of God's work in your life. Now, the question is, is God working in your life? I mean, that's a good question to begin with. And do you desire to have God work in your life? Let me give you an example, some examples of perverse talk and corrupt speech. People who say, you know, this situation isn't going to work out because nothing ever works out for me. That's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. Or I guess I'll have to work out this problem on my own without any help from God or anyone else. That's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. You know, when you ridicule and criticize and demean someone, that's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. When you spread gossip, that's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. When you talk on and on and on about your problems with no desire whatsoever to find any godly solution, and when you fill your conversations with pessimism and self-pity, that's perverse talk. That's corrupt speech. Luke 6.35, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Isn't that interesting? If you find yourself always being critical, if you find yourself always being callous and condescending to everybody around you, you need to realize that it's a whole lot more than just words problems. It's a heart problem. See, the heart and the mouth tend to reflect one another. The words of our mouth, in fact, you may remember that prayer started with, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our what? Our heart be found acceptable in your sight. The words of our mouth reflect the state of our heart, and the heart tends to move in the direction toward what it hears the mouth say. I mean, you can't talk defeat and expect victory. You can't talk doubt and expect to be overflowing with faith. Uh, you can't talk pessimism and be expected uh, to be full of optimism. You, you, your words need to reflect what you want your life to be. Now, if you read the book of Proverbs, and I would really suggest sometimes, just sit down and read it. I don't know that there's a day that goes by that I don't read parts of the book of Proverbs. Partly because uh, my life verse is found in there, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I, I love Proverbs. But the book of Proverbs has more to say about our use of words than just about any other topic. The more time you spend in Proverbs, the more God begins to teach you how to put your words to good use. Now, I read a lot of stuff in the newspapers and stuff today, and there are some people who think that we are probably at the worst time ever in all of history. I never want to go that far, because I think uh, if you stop and think about it, 
3,000 years ago, people probably talked themselves into the same kind of messes that we do today. I mean, fools talked foolishness back in the days of Jesus. Fools talked foolishness back in the days of Noah and Adam. Uh, in the days of, of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, uh, they wreaked havoc in their communities. <clears throat> the wise people spoke faith and wisdom and truth at the same time and experienced God's blessings. So if you want to master this edge of direction, watch your mouth. That other verse you see up there is Proverbs 10:19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. You know, when all, when everything else, you get nothing to say, don't say it. Okay, let's move on to the third point here. Fix your eyes. Now, this isn't saying go ahead and get cataract surgery or glasses. It's just keep them focused where they ought to be focused. As a young boy, I can remember my grandpa still occasionally had had a mule that he would use to pull a wagon to go out and pick up some leftover corn in the fields. And the one thing I remember about that mule is he, he put blinders on it. And the idea was that the blinders kept that mule's eyes focused on one direction. A few times at, uh, in my first church uh, in Belvedere, Illinois, northern Illinois, uh, a great number of people up there were still farmers. And uh, one of our men uh, asked me if I wanted to come out sometime and help plow or plant or Whatever. And I told him, let me know next time. And when it came time to plow his fields, he let me out and he showed me how to drive the tractor and everything else. And I actually drove the tractor out the field. He said, okay, we're just going to plow this field. And I went all the way down to the end and, and turned around and came back. He said, now look at what you just did. <laughs> it was like this. He said, what you need to do when you get in the tractor is you find a spot at the other end of the field, and you go to that spot. Don't just be driving like this. You've got to focus your eyes. Verse 25, look straight ahead, fix your eyes on what lies before you. I mean, it is terribly tempting when you're floundering uh, to keep your eyes focused on the flounder, uh, to waste time looking at everything that's wrong in your life and that isn't right. I mean, for example, if you're... Um, goal is to have a God-honoring, spirit-filled marriage, and you, maybe you're not there yet, it's tempting to keep your eyes on everything that isn't good about your marriage. If your goal is to grow in obedience uh, in your walk with Jesus, and you still kind of struggle with what I would call a besetting sin, it's tempting to keep your eyes fixed on your own sinfulness. Uh, if your goal is to develop financial stability and security for your family uh, and you're, scr- you're scrambling just to keep the lights on, it's tempting to keep your eyes glued to the problem and not trust God's promise of victory. I mean, I, I always tell people, you know, the Bible is an absolutely wonderful book, and I hate to give away the ending, but I've read it to the end, and in the end, we win. We are people of victory. I mean, you can read... In the book of Psalms, it says, and those who trust in the Lord will receive victory. Well, guess what? You get to the end. People who focus their eyes on Jesus get that victory. See, as long as your eyes are fixed on the problems of life, you'll never be able to move in the direction of the solution. And so Solomon uh, says, look at where you're going. 
Look at where you want to be, not where you are at this particular moment. And certainly don't look back at where you used to be. Look straight ahead. Look at the next Bible passage here from Philippians. I hate this Bible passage. And I can tell you why I hate this Bible passage. When I went back to my 25th high school reunion, I was reminded that I have the longest interception return in school history without scoring a touchdown. And it was 98 yards without scoring a touchdown. Uh, the reason being is I intercepted a pass out in the flat playing linebacker, and I sprinted out with my amazing speed to the other end. And when I got to the 50-yard line, I was sure you know, they were going to crown me eternal homecoming king and uh, all this kind of stuff. And, and, and when I got to about the 10-yard line, I decided for some strange reason to kind of turn to see how much distance my amazing speed had caused me to separate from the opponents when some dumb fool from the other team popped the ball out of my arm and they recovered it on about the one-yard line. I mean, I was stunned. I mean, 98 yards and I get a touchdown. I came off to the sideline because Coach Skull was doing this. And when I got to the sidelines, he grabbed me by the face mask and he jerked me forward and he said, don't ever look back. And then he says, go back. That's why every time I see this passage, it reminds me of that. I shouldn't say I hate any particular Bible. This is such a, this is, this is a, this is a one that causes me to repent time and time again. Paul, after he had said he'd not yet achieved the perfection he's after, he said, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. Now, why should we forget the past? Guess what? It's forgiven. Remember we talked about how far can God throw? He throws our sins behind us. I mean, how strong that he could bear into the desert? Forget that stuff. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. What lies ahead? Heaven. I press on to reach the end of the race. Next picture here. Where, where you fix your eyes determine what your life becomes. So if you're always dwelling in the past, your life is going to be about nothing but the past. I mentioned my 25th high school reunion. There's some people, it's amazing to me how many people after 25 years after being graduated from high school still live like they were in high school. They couldn't move on. It was like that Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days. We're going to just always go back to glory days. If your eyes are always turned to the problems you're facing in life, you're going to be floundering in neutral, spinning your wheels anywhere. But if you turn your attention to what lies in front of you, if you fix your eyes on Jesus, if you will, if you fix your eyes on God, where he's leading you, then your life becomes what he intends it to be. Next picture here. Uh, I'm a Cornhusker fan. You probably guessed that. Uh, this is a great book. It's called Faith in the Game. It's written by uh, former Nebraska football coach Tom Osborne. And he talks about the importance of focus in athletics as well as in life. Uh, he, in the book, says that just as the baseball player's eyes must be locked on the rotation of the ball in order to hit it, and just like a receiver has to watch the football into his hands in order to catch it, we need to make sure that our eyes are focused where they ought to be. Next page. Hebrews 12 tells us this. 
Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We are all, what, brought into this world at a certain point. Some of us have been running a short time. Some of us have been running a long time. Some of us are just kind of halfway through the race. But we got a race laid out in front of us. And it said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't look behind. Look at Jesus, though, the author, the one who put it down in front, the one who perfects our faith. So you can look at your past, you can look at your problems, you can continue to flounder in life, or you can look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, he'll keep you moving forward until you cross the finish line. Any of you ever teach kids how to walk? Do you ever do this? Come on, come on. Don't be, don't be looking at Grandpa. Don't be looking. Keep your eyes on me. Come on, come on, come on, come on. The minute they actually start seeing you and they're focusing, suddenly they're walking. You're fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're fixing your eyes on what lies ahead. Fixing your eyes on him, you're fixing your eyes on the direction your Heavenly Father wants you to go. So in order to master the edge of direction, you need to continually be asking yourself, what am I really focused on here? Where have I fixed my eyes on the past, my problems, or the presence of Jesus? Maybe some of you have sung this song before. Uh, Next screen here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. You know that song? And all the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Last point here, number four. Point your feet. Again, verses 26 and 27. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And the the King James translates this, uh, ponder the path of your feet. Kind of interesting, too. In other words, think about where you're going. Think about the steps that you're taking. And then map map out a godly plan about where you want to go. I mean, ask the Lord for direction. Where should I go? Which direction? Whatever. I mean, for example, if you, if you want a closer walk with God, then I suggest maybe you ought to make a plan. You know, to say, I'm going to begin every morning with a moment of praise, and I will spend 15 minutes this first week, and 20 minutes the next week, and 30 minutes the next week, in, just in prayer and Bible study. I'm going to read until I feel like the Lord is saying, slow down, and I'm going to pray about what I read. I'm going to stop watching these shows in the morning, or this show, or that show, because quite honestly, it's counterproductive to my spiritual growth. I'm going to start listening to, um, you know, worship music in my car, or in my office, or I'm going to read a Christian book. See, that's what Solomon is talking about here. You need to mark out a straight path with your feet. Wherever it is you want to go, create a plan to get there and start walking in that direction. Now, if you're anything like me in my past, this is where you often drop the ball. You know what you really want, and you can't want it with all your heart, or you can want it with all your heart. You can talk about it with words of faith and hope and optimism. You can lock your eyes on where God is directing, but if you don't make a path and a map as a plan, and if you don't start putting one foot in front of the other, you will never, ever get there. When I 
decided to go full-time in ministry, and I'd always wanted to be a pastor. I mean, I was raised in the church. My grandpa was not a pastor, but he was a janitor at the church and school. I was around the church and school all the time. The only thing I ever really wanted to be was a pastor. There were all kinds of things that seemed to get in the way. Some of it was my own doing. But when it finally got down to that point, I made a plan. And I laid out that plan because I felt that this is where God wanted me to be. And I, and I said, I'm going to start by going just to the first session of summer school at the seminary rather than doing basketball camps. And that was a hard decision for me to make as a high school basketball coach. I went to the very first class, History of Lutheranism in America. Dr. Fry went to the class, walked out of the class, back to the dorm, called home and told my wife, this is it. God just confirmed it. And so I signed up for the second session and began saying, I've got to go during summers. And we wrote out the plan so that we could systematically get ourselves ready for that ultimate move. Now, sometimes steps, the steps we're able to take seem so feeble. And we have so far to go. It feels like we'll never, ever get there. And sometimes we'd actually be able to kind of look and say, what's the use of even trying to do this? Well, here's the use of trying. I can promise you that when you mark out a path and you begin moving in the right direction, that godly direction, the one God leads you to, not the one that your heart wants what your heart wants, God is going to meet you along the way and take you on a journey. See, when you draw near to him, the Bible says he also draws near to you. Uh, When you resist the devil, he flees from you. And that's what James says. So I'd encourage you, in fact, I'd urge you to map out a godly plan. Mark out a path. He'll be there. Now, these four steps that Solomon outlines in Proverbs 4 really can help you get what you want in life. Now, understand again, not what you want, but what God shows you what you really want. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, if you go to the next three, you'll never have that which matters most until you're willing to master each step. Now, let's just review a little bit. Next one. Push it again. Okay. Guard your heart. Decide what you really want to want and move your heart in that direction. Next one. Watch your mouth. Abandon all of this perverse and corrupt speech, including criticism, gossip, doubt, defeat, pessimism, self-pity, whatever. Replace it with words of hope and comfort and encouragement or faith. And if it doesn't reflect what God wants you to do in life, don't say it. Next one. Fix your eyes. Turn your eyes away from the past. Turn your eyes away from all your problems. Turn them instead towards Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Focus on where he wants you to go. And lastly, point your feet. Make a plan. Mark out a path. Put one foot in front of the other. Now, today's message isn't really getting about getting what you want as much as it is about explaining what you get. That's why it could have been called Why Your Life Is Like It Is. Uh, Sometimes we profess to be Christ followers, but the last person we ever follow is Christ. What is he? He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I mean, think of what Jesus did in this world to begin with. Conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered death. Do you know anybody else who can do any of that? I mean, if you need power in your life, I mean, why go to powerless people? 
like some of your friends or some of your neighbors or some of your co-workers. I probably shouldn't say this, but maybe some of your church members. Why not turn to the greatest source of power you have and draw on him for the direction in your life? Everyone follows these same steps to some extent. Uh, Some do it in kind of a haphazard and inconsistent way. Some do it with amazing clarity and focus. I'm just encouraging the day to focus your life and your direction towards Jesus. So it's your heart, your mouth, your eyes, your feet. Master those four, and life is going to be what God desires. Again, we pray, Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen.